This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Hello, friend, and welcome back to Foul Play. This is the story of the Phantom Killer of Texarkana. And today, in this second installment of our Phantom Killer series, we're looking at the investigation and evidence surrounding the crimes of the Texarkana Killer. In 1946, the small town of Texarkana was rocked by a series of heinous crimes within a span of just three months. Three of these attacks targeted young couples seeking privacy on Lover's Lane in Texas, while the fourth involved the ruthless shooting of a middle-aged couple in their secluded farmhouse in Arkansas. By the time the carnage ended, Three of the victims had sustained grave injuries and five lives were taken. The few survivors left were so traumatised that they could provide the bare minimum information to authorities. Panic gripped the town as women with financial means took refuge in downtown's Hotel Grimm if their husbands were away, while others devised makeshift security systems using pots and pans linked to wires around their homes. Gun ownership in the state soared as people began sleeping with loaded weapons on either side of their beds and had their children sleep close to them on the floor. Texarkana, sometimes also known as Little Chicago, was a bustling railroad hub that attracted celebrated performers and prominent politicians. But the railroads also ushered in vagrants and criminals. The state border, which famously bisects the massive United States post office and courthouse, not only sparked intense high school football rivalries, but also fostered divisions that complicated and hindered law enforcement. 
despite the town's inherent darkness that weaves along State Line Avenue. Texarkana had never tried to conceal or suppress tales of its most infamous chapter, as you might expect them to. Investigations into the attacks by the Phantom Killer engaged numerous law enforcement officers across city, county, state and federal levels. With their interrogations, a lot of new information came to light, making the already chilling accounts of the killer downright terrifying. Let's revisit the crime scenes now with the actual testimonies from those who escaped the killer and lived to tell the tale. February 22, 1946. At approximately 11.45 p.m., 25-year-old Jimmy and his 19-year-old girlfriend Mary Jean parked on a secluded lover's lane after enjoying a movie together. Little did they know that danger lurked just around the corner. About 10 minutes later, an ominous figure wearing a white cloth mask resembling a pillowcase with eye holes cut out peered, shining a flashlight into Jimmy's driver's side window. Jimmy tried to reason with the man, but he coldly responded, I don't want to kill you, fellow, so do what I say. The couple was forced out of the car through the driver's side door and the masked man demanded Jimmy remove his pants. After complying, Jimmy was brutally struck in the head with a pistol twice. Mary Jean, believing the attacker intended to rob them, showed him Jimmy's empty wallet. In response, she too was struck with a blunt object. The attacker ordered Mary Jean to stand and run. She initially tried to flee toward the ditch, but the assailant redirected her up the road. Desperate, she noticed an old car off the road, but found it empty. The attacker confronted her again, calling her a liar before knocking her down and sexually assaulting her with the barrel of his gun. After the horrifying assault, Mary Jean managed to escape, running half a mile to a nearby house, where she alerted the residents and contacted the police. Meanwhile, a distorted Jimmy regained consciousness and managed to get help from a passing driver. The attacker, by that time, had vanished into thin air. Jimmy and Mary Jean gave conflicting descriptions of their attacker, with Mary Jean claiming he was a light-skinned African-American and Jimmy suggesting he was just a tanned white man. Both agreed he was around six feet tall. Authorities were skeptical of their accounts, believing the couple knew their assailant's identity and were covering for him. The second attack came soon after, on March the 24th. A chilling scene awaited an innocent passerby on US Highway 67 West in Texas, 
29-year-old Richard L. Griffin and his 17-year-old girlfriend, Polly Ann Moore, lay dead by the road. Upon closer inspection, Griffin seemed to be in a peculiar position, kneeling between the front seats with his head resting on his crossed hands, his pockets turned inside out. Moore's body was sprawled face down in the back seat, seemingly placed there after being killed on a nearby blanket outside the car. Both lovers had been shot in the back of the head, with Griffin having been shot twice while still in the car. They were both fully clothed, and the blood-stained ground near the vehicle led investigators to believe that the couple were murdered outside the car and then placed back inside. The car's running board was smeared with blood, which had seeped through the bottom of the car door. They found a .32 cartridge casing on the scene, suggesting the shots were fired from a pistol wrapped in a blanket. Less than a month later, on April the 14th, 17-year-old Paul Martin picked up 15-year-old Betty Jo Booker from her musical performance at the VFW Club on West 4th and Oak Street. Neither of them lived to explain what happened. Martin was later found in the morning along the northern edge of North Park Road. His blood was spattered over the other side of the road and he had been shot four times. In the nose, from behind through the ribs, in the right hand and in the back of the neck. Betty Booker wasn't found until 11.30am, almost two miles away from Martin's body. Her body was positioned behind a tree, lying on her back and fully clothed. Her right hand was tucked into the pocket of her buttoned overcoat. She had been shot twice, once in the chest and once in the face. And once again, casings of the .32 were found on the scene, like the previous incident. Martin's car was found around three miles away from Betty's body and approximately 1.55 miles from his own body. The car was parked outside Spring Lake Park, with the keys still in the ignition. The final time he struck was on the evening of May 3rd at 9pm. 37-year-old Virgil Starks and his 36-year-old wife Katie were in their home on their 500-acre farm off Highway 67 East, almost 10 miles northeast of Texarkana. Virgil was in his armchair, enjoying the cool stillness of the night. From the darkness emerged a silver bullet, disturbing the peaceful night as it shot through the closed double window and found its mark on Virgil's skull. Katie, who had been in another room, heard shattered glass and rushed in to find Virgil standing up, only to slump back into his chair. When she realized her husband was dead, she hurried to the wall crank telephone to call for help. She barely managed two rings before she was shot in the face from the same window. Bleeding and disoriented, Katie tried to grab a pistol from the adjoining room, but was blinded by her own blood dripping over her eyes. 
as she heard the attacker approach at the back of the house. Every hair stood on end as she fled out the front door. Barefoot, she raced across her front yard, over the street, and all the way to her sister's home. But nobody was there. Desperate, she continued to her neighbor A.V. Prater's house, where she managed to choke out Virgil's dead before collapsing on the ground before him. Prater grabbed his gun and fired a shot into the air to summon his neighbor, Elmer Taylor. And they both jumped into Taylor's car and drove Katie to Michael Mager Hospital. In our ongoing journey dissecting real-life mysteries, I've found a perfect companion in a game that not only captivates, but also lets me step into the shoes of a detective in the glamorous 1920s, June's Journey. As someone who's delved deep into the game, playing through the intriguing scenarios of June Parker, I can personally vouch for its immersive experience. In June's Journey, you unravel the mystery of June Parker's sister's murder. Each scene is a visual and intellectual puzzle, with hidden clues scattered across beautifully crafted locations. What I've enjoyed most is the depths of the storyline. Each chapter peels back a layer of this thrilling narrative, revealing danger, mystery, and romance. Besides the allure of solving mysteries, the game lets you design and customize your own luxurious estate island. Building my estate has been a delightful escape, offering a creative break from the intense narratives we tackle on the podcast. For those of you who enjoy the blend of history, mystery, and narrative depth we explore on this podcast, June's Journey offers a chance to live out those elements in a beautifully interactive setting. June needs your help, detective. Download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android, and join me in this ongoing quest to uncover hidden truths and solve complex mysteries. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. How's your social battery holding up? Mine's been draining lately, consumed by the darkness of true crime tales. But amidst the shadows, it's crucial to remember to prioritize our mental well-being. Just like unraveling a twisted plot, Therapy helps me untangle the knots in my mind. It's about gaining clarity, finding strength, and reclaiming control over your life. Considering therapy, BetterHelp offers a lifeline in the darkness. It's completely online, giving you the freedom to seek help in your own terms. And with a simple questionnaire, you can be matched with a licensed therapist who understands your unique struggles. Find your social sweet spot with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Foul today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Foul, F-O-U-L. Looking for a new way to unwind after a long day? Say hello to Recess Mood, a healthier alternative that keeps your evenings light and your spirit high. With Recess Mood, you get the pleasure without the guilt. Made with real fruit and infused with mood-lifting magnesium and stress-balancing adaptogens, Recess Mood lets you relax without alcohol or hangovers. It's just 20 calories per can, has no added sugar, and comes in four delightful flavors like strawberry rose and raspberry lemon. 
I've tried these myself, and whether I'm chilling at home or need a moment during downtime chaos, Recess Mood is my go-to refreshment. It's truly a guilt-free way to unwind. And now there's something special for all our listeners. You deserve a healthier way to unwind. Head to takearecess.com shane and get 15% off Recess Mood, your go-to alcohol replacement. With every new case, the pressure increased on law enforcement to find the killer. But where could they even start? The very first victims, Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry, had conflicting descriptions of the killer, which frustrated the police. They repeatedly questioned Larry's account of the first attack and suspected that she and Hollis knew the identity of their attacker and were perhaps even covering for him. Despite their best efforts, no suspects were apprehended. Larry returned to Texarkana after the Griffin Moore double murder in hopes of helping the police connect the cases and identify the phantom killer. But the Texas police were sceptical of her story and believed she knew her attacker's identity. The authorities didn't publicly link the Hollis-Larry attack to the next few murders until May the 11th when County Sheriff Presley and Officer Runnels urged the public to report any unexplained absences on the nights of the four attacks. Following the Griffin Moore murders, a city-wide investigation began involving local police. The Texas Department of Public Safety, Miller and Cass County Sheriff's Departments and the FBI. Over 200 people were questioned and a similar number of false leads were pursued. In the Martin Booker case, friends, acquaintances and multiple suspects were interrogated by officers working 24-hour shifts. Captain Manuel Gonzalez, just before the murder of Virgil Starks, tried to bait the phantom killer by recruiting teenagers to act as decoys in parked cars while officers waited nearby. Some of the officers even volunteered as decoys, partnering with real people or mannequins. Following the Booker-Martin murders, some officers would hide among trees at Spring Lake Park. After the Virgil Starks murder, officers from the entire area were called to assist in the investigation. Roadblocks were set up on Highway 67 East and everyone found driving in the area at the time of the murder was detained for questioning. Captain Gonzalez, also called the Lone Wolf, became the public face of the investigation, holding numerous press conferences to update the media and the frightened people of Texarkana. By May 5th, 47 officers were working on the case. By May 11th, a teletype machine was installed in the Bowie County Sheriff's Office to allow easy communication with other law enforcement agencies in the state. With more updates in the news and constant coverage of the investigation came increased hysteria. The Texarkana Gazette ominously warned the killer could strike at any moment targeting anyone, anywhere. 
For an entire week, police were overwhelmed with reports of potential prowlers, with one officer attributing the influx of calls to a mix of panic, wild imaginations, and near hysteria. Before the chilling events, it was common for residents to leave their homes unlocked. There was a general sense of community and trust in the small town, where everyone knew everyone, and people looked out for each other. The Texarkana killer, though, had made neighbours doubt neighbours, and children fear the night. The murders compelled people to prioritise their security, leading to an uptick in locked doors, armed homeowners and reinforced windows. In the wake of Stark's death, local stores quickly sold out of locks, firearms, ammunition, window shades and Venetian blinds. Additionally, sales of window locks, screen door hooks, night latches and other protective devices skyrocketed. Even guard dogs were in high demand. Armed and anxious, the citizens of Texarkana became a potential danger. Law enforcement officers had to take extra precautions, like using their sirens, standing in their headlights, and announcing themselves to avoid being shot by a jittery homeowner. Gonzulus only heightened the panic when he advised citizens to prepare their firearms and use them without hesitation if necessary. With the entire town on edge, it was only a matter of time before rumours started circulating. These rumours would intensify the panic and offer hinder police investigations. On April 18th, Gonzalez was forced to hold a press conference to debunk rumours that the murderer had been caught. He emphasised that such rumours were not only a hindrance to the investigation, but also harmful to innocent people. He repeated this sentiment in a radio interview on May 7th, explaining that rumors diverted officers from the main investigation and that no leads could be ignored, regardless of how far-fetched they may seem. Despite Gonzalez's efforts, though, these rumors persisted well into May. Many people believed that the killer had been caught and was being secretly held in the Bowie County Jail or transferred to another facility. The Gazette and news offices were inundated with phone calls, both local and long distance, inquiring about the killer's capture. Sheriff Presley begged residents to be more considerate towards their fellow citizens, as innocent people were being falsely accused of being the phantom killer. And the palpable fear wasn't limited to Texarkana. It spread to other cities like Hope, Lufkin, Magnolia, and even Oklahoma City, where sales of guns and axes spiked. After three weeks without another convicted murder, the sense of dread in Texarkana began to dissipate, but the anxiety lingered throughout the summer. Most of the officers believed that the motive behind the attacks was sex mania, because large amounts of money and valuables were left untouched 
in the victims' homes. The phantom killer was either acting out a perversion, heartbreak, or a need to cleanse the Christian community of sinners. With no leads and a list of suspects getting shorter by the day, the police put up a $500 reward for any new information on the case. But this only led to over 100 false leads, with no useful clues or suspects. In the days following the Booker-Martin murders, the reward fund exceeded $1,700, eventually reaching over $10,000. Seeing the incompetence of the police in conducting their investigation and bringing a killer to justice, the people of Texarkana decided to take the matter into their own hands. While most of the town lived in fear of the phantom, some daring young boys and girls continued to park on isolated roads in hope of catching the twisted predator. Some officers encountered a parked car on a desolate road one night. As Johnson approached the couple in the car and asked if they were scared, the girl responded, quote, It's a good thing you told me who you are, end quote, later revealing that she was pointing a .25 ACP pistol at him. On the night of May the 10th, Texarkana police officers were alerted to a car trailing a bus. After a three-mile chase, they shot the tyres and arrested C.J. Lauderdale Jr., a high school athlete. When questioned, Lauderdale explained that he didn't realise that they were police officers since they were driving an unmarked car. He had been following the bus due to suspicions about a passenger who had boarded from a private vehicle. On May the 12th, Gonzulus warned these teenage sleuths in the Gazette saying, quote, it's a good way to get killed, end quote. As the town of Texarkana continued to grapple with the horrifying reality of the phantom killer, life for its citizens had become a nightmarish existence. Despite the best efforts of the police and the community's attempts to protect themselves, the killer remained elusive. Would he ever be caught and... Why hadn't he struck after the murder of Virgil Starks? His lack of presence didn't ease the town quite as they had hoped. With each passing day, it seemed the Phantom Killer was plotting something gorier, more horrifying and stomach-churning. We've only just scratched the surface of the chilling story of the Phantom Killer. Who was this masked monster preying on innocent lives? And what drove him to commit such brutal acts? The answers to these questions may lie in the killer's M.O., his profile, and the suspects that would eventually emerge. Join us next time on Foul Play as we delve deeper into the harrowing tale of the Phantom Killer of Texarkana in Episode 3. We'll investigate the killer's modus operandi, his possible profile, and the suspects that had authorities racing against time in hopes of preventing another gruesome attack. But, as we'll soon discover, the truth can sometimes be stranger and darker than fiction. Until then, stay vigilant, and remember... Sometimes the shadows hold more 
just secrets. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.